Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about transgender rights. We're having this conversation in the context of dozens of states passing laws that not only limit or prohibit trans women from competing in women's sports, but also impose legal limits in areas like health care, school policy, and public accommodations. The ACLU is currently tracking 185 anti-LGBTQ bills that are under consideration in state legislatures across the country. We'll examine those efforts and those bills in other shows. Today, we will focus on youth and professional sports and efforts to prohibit trans women from competing against cisgender women. A little later in the show, we'll hear from Dr. Veronica Ivey, a trans and intersex athlete rights activist and advocate who was a competitive cyclist. But we begin with a 12-time All-American swimmer who competed for the University of Kentucky. Riley Gaines is a spokesperson for the Independent Women's Forum, an organization formed in the 1990s to support Justice Clarence Thomas's nomination to the Supreme Court. The IWF opposes allowing trans women from competing against cisgender women and supports a number of other conservative causes. Riley Gaines joins us on Zoom from Nashville. Ms. Gaines, thank you for your time. Of course. Thank you so much for the opportunity um, to really speak about this. I, I appreciate it a lot. So uh, tell us how you got involved uh, in this uh, effort. You're a swimmer. You competed against uh, another swimmer named Leah Thomas, uh, who is swimming for the University of Michigan. Uh, tell us uh, what happened in that experience. Yeah, uh, Leah actually swam at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, but last year, it was about November of my senior year when I had made it my goal to win a national title. Um, but in November this person comes out of nowhere posting the fastest times across the nation in multiple events. Um, and of course this swimmer was, is Leah Thomas, um, who was formerly Will Thomas, who swam three years on the men's side at UPenn. Um, so fast forward to our NCAA championships where Leah Thomas wins a national title in the 500 freestyle, beating out Olympians and American record holders and the fastest females of all time, really um, not even a year after ranking in the 500s and 600s in the men's category. Um, but that next day, after watching Leah Thomas win a national title, Thomas and I competed against each other in the 200-yard freestyle, which actually resulted in a tie. Um, we went the exact same time down to the hundredth of a second. Um, and for perspective here, I'm a, a mere 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five whereas Leah Thomas is 6'4". Um, but upon tying, we go behind the awards podium where the NCAA official looks at me and says, great job, you guys tied, but Leah gets the trophy. And so I say, okay, um, I understand there's only one trophy and you don't necessarily account for ties, but can I ask you, why are you adamant on giving this trophy to Leah? And he looks at me and says, well, for photo purposes, Leah has to hold it. You will go home with nothing. We will eventually mail you one. And so I want to reiterate, not having the trophy um, means nothing to me, the tangible object. Um, I'm a 12-time All-American, so I have lots of those at home. But it was the fact that we as female athletes had been reduced to a photo op to validate someone else's feelings at the expense of our own. And that's when it became truly important to me. Um, and it's that's when it became something that I became passionate about. Um, I realized that I had been waiting for someone else to speak up for us. But it hit me that 
if we as female athletes weren't willing to stick up for ourselves, how can we expect someone else to? And so um, the trajectory of my life has totally changed. Uh, I was supposed to be in dental school this year, actually, but I have um, now kind of made it my mission to continue fighting for keeping female spaces that were once protected by Title IX um, really for females, and um, let, for biological uh, females. Yeah, and let's let's talk about this notion of biological female and biological male. Um, what is your uh, understanding of the evidence about the role of testosterone, the, the assumption uh, that a lot of people uh, who are making the argument that you're making that trans women should not be competing in women's uh, competitions uh, is, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, premised on the notion that uh, uh, male uh, testosterone uh, appears in the body in greater levels. Therefore, they are automatically uh, advantaged if they have uh, male, you know, lar- big amounts of male testosterone. What What is your understanding of the, the scientific evidence about that? Because there's, there seems to be a great deal of uh, controversy on that yeah. point. Yeah, of course. Um, physiological development as a biological male yields tremendous advantages over biological women in athletic competition. Um, I, there's simply no credible medical professional whose expertise is in physiological development of athletes who would dispute that. Um, If you think about this from a different perspective, if a female athlete took performance enhancing drugs to give herself the musculature of a man, it would be just as unfair, um, actually not even quite as unfair as displayed by the East Germans in the sport of swimming as someone who already has the male musculature competing against women. Um, Of course, that's why using those drugs are prohibited and grounds for disqualification and stripping of awards if discovered even after the fact. Um, but there are a lot of people who think that that's uh, in question, actually, that the, there's a, a doctor right. named Eric Villain, uh, who's a pediatrician and geneticist. He, he studies sex differences in athletes. He was quoted in NPR uh, as saying there are simply no good faith reasons to limit transgender women's participation in sports. Uh, and because the science of whether testosterone in real life is actually providing an advantage in competition is not clearly established. Um, there there just seems to be uh, a lot of question uh, about that science. Right. Um, then my question for him would be, then why are all instances, most instances of this occurring around the country of trans women competing against in the women's category and not the other way around? Why was Leah Thomas not a lateral movement? Um, this was someone who went from ranking at best in the 500s as a in the males category to winning a national title a year later in the women's category. There is simply no logical reasoning for this to happen that then understanding that men have biological advantages. Um, and to that point, even if let's take testosterone out of the equation, even if biological males could ever get to the point where they had computable testosterone levels as females, there are differences and advantages that will never be diminished like, um, bone density, of course, height, that's an easy one to see. Um, your lung and heart size, which is crucial in swimming, your throat size, Men have a 40% larger throat on average than women, which sounds silly, but that's a crucial factor to to, um, success in swimming. 
So there, it's more than testosterone um, but isn't it as also, well that contributes to success. Isn't it also true? Because there's not a whole lot of studies of trans athletes, as it turns out, and uh, certainly those studies are necessary. But isn't it also the case that when trans women transition uh, into uh, being a trans woman, the the uh, hormones that they're taking, uh, the estrogen, etc., cetera, uh, actually diminish their capacity. There is some evidence in that regard. There's a scientist named uh, Joanna Harper, who herself is a, a runner, uh, who says, you know, when she transitioned, uh, she found herself, uh, she measured this, you know, quite specifically, uh, running 12% slower than she had uh, when she was, uh, she was a male. Uh, before her transition. So um, there is some, some, you know, science to indicate that, in fact, it goes the other way. I mean, um, how how do you think about that? Definitely. I do think that, you know, taking these hormone suppressions as well as estrogen and different things, it does inhibit your athletic ability, for sure. Um, That 12% statistic you used a minute ago, um, while that's very real, what's the average difference between the men and women's category? Because in swimming, it's larger than 12%. Um, Let's take Michael Phelps, for example, um, obviously a phenom in swimming, and compare his best time in an event to Katie Ledecky, who is also a woman's phenom in swimming. That difference is still larger than that 12% difference between the one individual. Um, the, The hormones these trans athletes are taking do inhibit them. I am not saying that they do nothing. But again, this is not a lateral movement. Um, Let's look at Isaac Henning, for example, who is a trans male who was an all-American phenomenal swimmer when swimming for the women's team, Um, has now transitioned to the men's team at Yale and is ranking nearly dead last at every meet after taking testosterone for a year or however many months Isaac has been taking testosterone. And it's these examples that are provided around the country at an alarming rate that prove that men have inherent advantages well, biologically but, when it comes to sheer athleticism and strength. But doesn't it uh, prove that, you know, individuals have, uh, you know, more endurance and strength than other individuals? I mean, you mentioned Katie Ledecky. Um, she's the world record holder in the event that Leah Thomas won. Um, it's certainly, you know, you could make the argument that it's uh, unfair for Katie Ledecky to compete uh, in in the fifteen hundred yard uh, event, I mean, uh, Michael Phelps was taller and had a huge, you know, big, uh, bigger wingspan than uh, many of the the men that he was competing against. Um, but but you know those those things happen. The, the champions are, are are made for all sorts of reasons, both psychological and and physical. I mean, it, it it's uh, because what what's at stake here is is the rules that affect everybody. Uh, what what do you right. think those rules should be? You know, I think there's, of course, like you mentioned, I do think studies should continue happening. Um, like I said, had this have been a lateral movement, this would be a totally different conversation because, again, this is not anti-trans. Um, these bills that you're talking about that have been passed in several states, I believe it's 18 or 19 or so states now, um, they're not banning transgender athletes from competing. Um, because that would be completely wrong and discriminatory. And I think everyone, majority of this peop- the people in this country, 99% of the people in this country would totally agree with that. Um, 
they're not banning anyone. They're just saying they need to compete fairly, like everyone else has to abide by. Um, in time sports like swimming or track and field, transgender athletes could easily have their own national rankings. Um, so you no you would advocate for a separate category. So a men's event, a women's event, and a trans event? I think it's a way that honestly embraces um, the transgender community because think about five years ago, that would have never, that would have never been something that people would have supported. Um, but I don't think of that as discriminatory. I don't think of it as segregatory. I think it's something that's truly embracing the transgender community um, as a real community that people know are there. Um, these people do in fact exist and they deserve competition. They deserve fair competition in and of themselves. And I wholeheartedly stand by that. But I don't think um, that anyone with an unfair advantage should be allowed to deprive women of the enjoyment of fair competition in their sport of choice. And uh, the IOC, for example, the International Olympic Committee, says that individual sports should decide, that there shouldn't be necessarily a one-size-fits-all rule for all sports. They've also said as a fundamental principle that sport is a human right, that everybody has the right to participate totally. in sports. Um, what is your uh, opinion about the notion that you know perhaps the, the rules should be different in badminton than they are in fencing or than they are in boxing or than they are in swimming? You know, I think it's worth taking into account the different sports. Um, someone actually from your Twitter today asked me if I think trans women should be able to compete in chess with women, um, with biological cisgender women. Um, and I thought that was pretty interesting, actually, because granted, I don't play chess. I don't know the in innate differences that men and women have in chess, but I do think it's something that could be considered from an each sport level. Um, but in saying that, again, I don't think any biological woman should have to compare themselves um, to a biological male. Riley Gaines is a spokesperson for the Independent Women's Forum. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Our phone number is 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday. WIPR. So, Ms. Gaines, I'm, I'm interested. Um, you have uh, aligned yourself with the uh, Independent Women's Forum. Uh, you appeared with former President Trump at a CPAC conference in Texas. Um, uh, is this uh, really about sports or is it is it bigger? Is it about something else? Because there are a number of people who have uh, taken up uh, your cause uh, and, and elevated you as a person uh, who's an example of uh, political correctness gone amok, and you know you've heard the arguments. Um, the 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 fact that um, you know this is this conversation is happening in this political environment where there are so many uh, anti uh, LGBTQ uh, pieces of legislation being considered uh, as we speak. Um, it 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 seems to be more than just about sports. What do what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And I hate that this has become something that has become so political. Um, of course, we have to resort to politics in order to create guidelines, um, in a sense, at a state and federal level. But I hate that this has become something that these politicians um, of both extremes, both on the left and right, who are using um, people like myself, people like Leah Thomas, as these political pawns. That is 
the last thing that I that I wanted from. Yeah, but really, um, but are they using you? I mean, you know, you you didn't have to appear with uh, former President Trump. I mean, in what way is he using you as a pawn in that regard? Because when he pulls me on stage, to which I had no knowledge of which was happening, um, it does present this political pawn movement because people hate Trump. Um, people look at him, what he's doing, and without even listening, they want to disagree. They want to disagree with what he's saying. Um, it has turned into myself being used as a political pawn. Um, and like I said, I do think it had to get to this point in a way to create these guidelines, but I hate the fashion that which it's come, especially in the year of an election um, and all of these different things. Um, that's not what I want. I, of course, want to advocate for change, but I want to do it in a respectable fashion. Um, that's been my goal. That's going to remain my goal. That's why I'm working with the Independent Women's Forum. Um, our missions align in where they want to reach this moderate, independent, um, group that lies somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't want to speak to just right-wing parties on Fox News. Um, that's great. I've reached out to CNN a hundred times asking if they would have me on, to which every time they respond with no. Um, a lot of your people on your Twitter responded, why are you having her on? It's like they just don't want to hear my point of view. And so it has resorted a lot to these right-winged outlets, but that's why I'm working with the Independent Women's Forum. Should the um, the, the laws, um, uh, you know, should, should the the regulations uh, that that may be in place uh, from entities like the NCAA or the IOC, um, should they expand to other? Uh, areas as well. I mean, we have laws prohibiting health care for transgender children. We have laws uh, prohibiting, you know, the use of uh, bathrooms by various in, in various states. Um, sh should these should these laws in sport uh, extend or, or serve as a model for uh, regulations against trans people uh, in in the wider world? And and if so. Uh, isn't that in fact transphobic and uh, it doesn't that in fact uh, deny trans people uh, their rights? Again, no one, at least from the people I've talked to who agree with my stance, no one wants to deny trans people a right to any sort of basic living. Um, you know, in your relationships, in the workplace, those aren't places that rely on biology. Um, those are places that more align with your identity. Therefore, I don't think there should be restrictions in the workplace. I don't think there should be restrictions um, within your relationships and how you want to identify. But women's locker rooms, bathrooms, um, look at what's happening in prisons. There are certain places where biology does in fact matter. Um, and sports happens to be one of those, those places as well. Riley Gaines is a spokesperson for the Independent Women's Forum. Ms. Gaines, thank you for your time. I'm grateful. Thank you very much. Coming up, another perspective on inclusiveness and equality in women's sports and transgender rights. Dr. Veronica Ivey will join me on the other side of a quick break. I'm Tom Hall. It's midday. Stay with us.
And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, how did so many classified documents end up in Mar-a-Lago and in Joe Biden's garage? Who's keeping track of these documents? Is national security threatened? Are the procedures for handling sensitive material adequate? I'll speak with Tyler Pager of The Washington Post and Matthew Connolly, an expert in how the classification system Work. So they join me tomorrow. If you've just joined us today, we're talking about the rights of trans and intersex athletes. My next guest is Dr. Veronica Ivey. She's a queer trans woman, a two-time Masters Track Cycling World Champion, and a previous Masters World Record holder, the first known trans woman to win a Track Cycling World Championship. She's an advocate and activist for trans and intersex rights, and Veronica Ivey joins us on Zoom from Canada. Dr. Ivy, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. So talk a little bit about um, what might be generally described as the common sense argument. It seems to a lot of people uh, at first blush that uh, a person uh, born as a biological male, uh, and we can talk about the use of that term, um, but but a a person born, you know, uh, with those chromosomes uh, would have an inherent advantage over uh, a woman. Um, there are, you know, going to be exceptions to that rule, but uh, it, it would seem uh, to a lot of people, without looking at it uh, particularly closely, that that's the case. How how do you explain that to folks? Well, I think the first thing to say is, and, and I'm putting in air quotes here, the common sense view is uh, from a position of trans ignorance or transphobia, because it already imagines trans women as men, which is a mistake. So you would think that if that common sense view were true, then there would be evidence to support it, but there isn't any. There's no scientific evidence whatsoever supporting the view that trans women have an unfair competitive advantage over cis women. In fact, the Canadian Center for Ethics and Sport last November released a huge meta-analysis of all available evidence. And trans women are systematically underrepresented at the elite sport level. So there hasn't been a single trans woman to win an Olympic medal. There hasn't been a single trans woman to win an elite world championship. No trans woman holds an elite world record. Since trans people have been openly welcomed at the Olympics in 2004, we've had nearly 70,000 Olympians, but no trans women medalists. So this common sense view is just not tracking with reality. And what do you make of uh, the argument we just heard from Riley Gaines uh, that, uh, for example, in the, the instance of Leah Thomas, uh, when when Leah Thomas was competing in the men's category, uh, he competed at number 500 or 600 in the world, and then all of a sudden he's winning national titles. There's a, a legal case, uh, I believe, currently underway in Connecticut, a uh, case of a couple of high school athletes who, uh, as freshmen, uh, were competing as boys, and then they transitioned, and as sophomores, juniors, and seniors uh, competed as girls. They were mediocre uh, boys in terms of their rankings, uh, and they won all sorts of state championships and uh, big meets uh, when they transitioned uh, in, in their uh, upper-class years. What, what, what should we take away from those kinds of data points? 
there's so much to unpack there. First, um, I want to push back on you using the wrong pronouns for Leah, right? It's she, not he. Um, right, but, but, but when Leah was competing as a male, I, I assume... It's, it's yeah. still, it depends on the person's preference, and many trans people prefer to use their transition pronouns even for their prior selves. Okay. Um, but that's that's a small right, point I, here. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So I, I, I was actually just with Andrea Yearwood, one of the sprinters you're speaking with uh, in New York a few days ago filming for Vice, and it is not the case that people go from being mediocre and then suddenly just dominating. So first, let's talk about Leah. And Riley is upset that she tied for fifth with Leah, right? That's the result that Riley's upset about. In the event that Leah won, Leah was the first ever trans woman to win any division one title since the NCAA uh, welcomed trans women in 2010. So that's 11, 12 years, millions of athletes, no trans women division one champions until Leah. And in that very event, she didn't win the record. As you said, that's held by Katie Ledecky. The interesting thing about that is Katie Ledecky holds the 15 fastest times in the world in that event. So even though Leah won her event, she then lost all her other ones. So to say that she's like dominating is itself false. When we talk about people like Andrea and the Connecticut lawsuit was dismissed, they lost. She did not. So Andrea's personal best time would have put her at eighth place nationally were she to have gone to the nationals. So this idea that even Andrea was dominating is false. So every time we point to the rare instance that a trans woman finds any success in sport, none of us are dominating. And the fact that that no one is dominating, that is important um, in what way? Because even if uh, if it's a it's if an individual race or an individual league, an individual division, you know, division three or something like that, um, uh, people like Riley Gaines would make the argument that it's just inherently unfair under any circumstances. Um, well, I think that means that the argument completely collapses in on itself because she's trying to make the claim that there is an unfair competitive advantage and. If we're going to allow someone like Katie Ledecky to hold the 15 fastest times in the world ever in that event, but we're going to lose our minds when Leah Thomas swims slower, but happens to win the event, then it is an internally incoherent position. Dr. Veronica Ivey is an advocate for trans and intersex rights. We're talking about trans women uh, competing in women's sports uh, and the larger issues of trans rights. So, um, Dr. Ivy, you mentioned that there are no studies uh, about uh, concerning a lot of this stuff. What, what studies are there? What, what, 
what data do we have? Um, as I understand it uh, from uh, reading, uh, for example, people like Dr. Joanna Harper um, talking about the fact that trans athletes have not really been studied uh, and, you know, subjected to a scientific study, uh, to say nothing of, you know, specifically trans swimmers or something like that. What, what data is out there um, that, that could inform this discussion in any way? So I think it's important to note that, like, I'm not just an advocate or an activist, but I'm an expert on this. I advise the International Olympic Committee and World Sport Federations on this topic. And there is relatively little data on trans athletes, and there's really no data whatsoever on elite trans women athletes. And one of the reasons for that is just there are so few of us. So when someone like Riley suggests a trans-only category, that is such a non-starter for two reasons. One, it inherently others and excludes the trans people. Um, two, well, three reasons. Two, in the U.S., the government and the courts have ruled that Title IX protects trans women from gender discrimination. So trans women are women, full stop. And then... Um, Third, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, oh, and then the other thing is that, like, there is no one in the world, as far as I know, at Leah's level of swimming, so she would be competing against herself. I know for a fact, in my case, as a track cyclist, there is no trans woman in the world at my level. So there would be no one for me to compete against. So one reason why there's so little scientific evidence about trans athletes is there's so few of us, it's very hard to study a tiny population. Also, you need to study the population pre-transition and post-transition, and it's hard to find people to get physiological data before they transition because they might not know they're trans yet. So it's just inherently going to be a problem to find this data. However, every instance of scientific data that we do have does not support the view that trans women have an unfair competitive advantage. Yeah, and uh, in the general population, uh, most estimates put it at about 2% of the population. Oh, no, no, 0.5. Yeah, uh, as as trans and, 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 and one-sixth of those people who identify as trans uh, try out for sports. You know, so the, exactly. the, the the number of people competing as trans, as you say, I mean, you're in a, a very uh, rarefied category, to be sure. Um, uh, President Biden uh, has proposed, the Biden administration has proposed changing uh, the Title IX language uh, to change the definition of sex to gender and gender identity. Do you think that that's uh, a good idea? Is that a, a change that needs to be implemented? So the thing about that is the courts all the way up to uh, circuit appellate courts have ruled that the, the category of sex protections in law like Title IX already includes gender identity and expression. So legally speaking, it's not required. So legally speaking, that change won't change anything. However, it might make it more obvious to some people like Riley, that trans people are already protected under these laws. 
Dr. Veronica Ivey is an advocate for trans and intersex rights, and we'll have more with Dr. Ivey after a quick break. We'll take your emails and tweets and calls. Our number, 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at wipr.org. And you can tweet us at midday WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. Welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you just joined us today, we're talking about transgender rights. My guest is Dr. Veronica Ivey, a trans and intersex athlete advocate and activist and former Masters World Champion in track cycling. To join our conversation, 410-662-8780 or email midday at wipr.org. To tweet us, it's at Midday WIPR. So, Dr. Ivey, we have an email from Sandy who says, I'm a lesbian, a former athlete, a lifelong political activist, and about as far from right-wing as any person can be. And I strongly believe that women are losing our sex-based rights. How would you respond to Sandy's comment? Yeah, this is um, a common refrain. And people who say this, first, I would, I would ask you to look inward and wonder why you are aligned with the farthest right political groups making such arguments. So trans women are women. So the idea that cisgender women are losing something is already a misframing of the question. And let me put it very bluntly. When we put restrictions on who counts as woman enough, it hurts all women, cis, intersex, and trans. So there are instances, for example, with these bathroom bills where cis lesbian women who don't look, air quotes, feminine enough are being harassed and stalked because people think that they're trans women or they're they're not real women. So if you are this type of person, I think you should be radically supporting trans rights and trans inclusion because the opposite of that hurts all women. What should the the rules concerning participation in sport be in terms of the NCAA or the IOC? These rules have somewhat been in flux, as I understand it. I mean, the NCAA for a while had uh, rules, I guess they still do, that uh, in order for a trans woman to compete in women's competition, uh, she must have been on hormone therapy for a year, and then uh, she's eligible. The IOC had that rule for a while, and now they've relaxed that a little bit. Can you explain what the rules are currently, and then explain, in your view, uh, what you think the rules ultimately should be? So the first thing to say is that the IOC has never actually had a rule or a policy. In 2003, they issued their first guidelines that required two years of, well, you had to have genital surgery and then a two-year waiting period, and then you could compete. In 2015, they updated that recommendation to remove the surgery requirement and implement that 
one-year testosterone rule. And then uh, this past year, when they released the framework that I was part of um, consulting for, they basically, it's getting more and more inclusive. It's removing more and more barriers because we're learning that those initial barriers weren't scientifically sound. So there isn't actually any science supporting the 12 months. 12 months is very arbitrary. It happens to be the time that it takes for our planet to orbit the sun. Like there's nothing special about 12 months versus 11 or 13 or whatever. So people just chose things because they thought that it would be supported by science. And then we find out that it wasn't. So I'll tell you that the, so I'm Canadian even though I, I lived and taught at a university in the US for seven years. And in Canada, most of our sports are self-identification. So you do not have to have any sort of surgery, which is a good thing. Um, and you are not required to take any sort of hormone therapy. And then you get to compete in the gender that you are. So I think that we have seen that the sky has not fallen. Uh, trans women have not dominated any Canadian sport whatsoever. As far as I know, there are no trans women national champions in Canada since these sorts of policies have taken place. So because uh, the science doesn't really support any of these uh, restrictions, I think that something like a self-identification policy is the best. Let me share something with you. People think that men have more testosterone than women. Now, that's true when we talk about averages of populations, but it's not true when we talk about the population of men. So Yeah, there's a wide about, range, right, right. Well, the, the range goes down to basically zero. So about 6.5% of men, cis men, elite athletes, are naturally below the testosterone levels that they're imposing for trans women. And they're competing at no disadvantage to men with a hundred times as much, well, not hundred, but 10 times as much testosterone and 0.5% of elite cis male athletes at the world championship level have less testosterone than the average woman. So what we have found definitively is that there is no sports performance relationship between unaltered natural endogenous testosterone. What do you think about the FINA regulations? FINA is the sports body that uh, governs swimming. Uh, and the, the notion that there should be different uh, regulations, different uh, requirements for different sports. Is this the kind of thing that lends itself to, to very individual approaches uh, to assure inclusiveness and, and equity? The short answer is no. The longer answer is that the FINA policy is grossly unscientific and a violation of basic human rights. It also violates the, the current IOC framework where if you, as an individual sport, like swimming or cycling or weightlifting, whatever, um, are going to impose eligibility criteria you have to have sports-specific scientific data to back it up, and they do not. 
There is not a single scientific study on trans women swimmers, period. Generally, what these organizations are doing, World Rugby did the same thing, is they compare cisgender men to cisgender women and say, well, cis men are bigger, stronger, faster than cis women, therefore trans ban. But again, that misframes the issue as saying that trans women are just men in dresses or whatever. So the FINA policy is both unscientific and violating the IOC framework. My guest is Dr. Veronica Ivey. Our number is 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. Let's go to uh, Jake in Baltimore. Jake, welcome to Midday with Dr. Veronica Ivey. Hey, Tom. First time, long time. Thanks for having me on. Um, I wanted to uh, ask these two fine folks uh, where they thought the line was um, when a trans when a person starts to transition and they can start competing in the uh, sport to which they are transitioning. And I hope I'm using all my prepositions the right way. All right, so Dr. Ivy, at, at what point uh, does a, a transitioning person, uh, you know, become fully trans, I guess? <laughs> yeah, um, first, good job, caller. Um, you did get your prepositions right, so great job. And I applaud the effort. Um, so this, <laughs> like, when does a trans person become trans is this sort of actually really like a metaphysical question that I would teach in my intro to trans studies courses at university. Um, but in terms of sport, the best way to do it is uh, a trans person sort of elects uh, that they are transitioning, they alert the sport federation. So in cycling, for example, we have licenses. So if you um, held a license pre-transition, but then you're going to transition, you would alert the federation that you need to change your sex marker, um, and then off you go. So in Canada, for example, you can change the sex designation on your birth certificate with basically a three-sentence letter from your doctor, and that is all. So that's what it takes to be like legally trans in Canada, basically to, to have like your legal documents changed. It's very, very easy. We have a, a couple of emails uh, along these lines. One of them says as an ignorant cis male that wants to be a trans ally, where can I start? Where can I go? Who should I listen to? Well, if it's not too presumptuous. Um, <laughs> you, I, I think I you're am, allowed to nominate yourself. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, it is the case that I am a world-leading expert on this topic. And my Twitter is um, at sport is a right. And my pinned tweet is a gigantic thread with charts and data. And it has links to my peer-reviewed published articles on the topic. Talk about the, this notion that sports is a human right. Um, this is enshrined in the uh, IOC uh, code or whatever one calls it. What charter why, with the charter? Thank you. Why is this? Why is this important? Why is this such a fundamental, uh, you know, precept uh, in this conversation? So I'll preface this by saying that the International Olympic Committee Charter has seven fundamental principles of Olympism. 
And the fourth one starts, participation in sport is a human right, like period. And they mean competitive sport at the most elite level. The UN Commission for Women agrees. So these sort of world bodies agree that access to competitive sport is a human right. The IOC and the UN Commission for Women supports trans women as women, intersex women as women in competitive sport. So that's just the preface. So why, why do we care so much? So some people say, oh, come on, sport isn't a human right. That like, that's nonsense. Like sport isn't that important. Well, then why do we get in such a tizzy over it? Why people riot when their team wins a championship, people riot when their team loses a championship. Like societies care massively about sport. We view it as like this proxy for like war almost. And the beautiful thing about the Olympics in particular is that they are very explicitly about putting aside political differences, coming together under the, the beauty of mutual understanding and like caring for each other. Um, the IOC at every Olympics lately has had athletes from war-torn countries where their country isn't able to send them as a representative of that country compete under the Olympic flag itself. So sport is this beautiful thing that we massively care about. And it is a fundamental aspect of human dignity that you are violating if you're saying, okay, trans women are women for everything but this massive part of society. Let's go to a caller who I think wants to pick up that thread. This is Perrin in Baltimore. Welcome to Midday with Dr. Veronica Ivey. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And Dr. Ivy, thank you so much for all of your work in this area. It's so important. Um, I'm a little bit curious. So we're, you know, with all of the recent legislative pushes, there's so much momentum in this area and in restricting other parts of trans people in public life. Um, my background is in clinical psychology and I focus on LGBTQ wellness. So I'm very aware of the horrifying statistics that close to 50% of trans people attempt suicide at some point in their life. Um, super high rates of anxiety and depression and other health disorders. To me, that's such a huge epidemic, and it feels, and I know how deeply it's connected to discrimination, that discrimination and health are so closely linked. Um, yet, we're spending so much time and energy on this. Like, this is, this is so important, but it feels like this is kind of a big right-wing distraction um, from, you know, what some of the, like, real issues are here. And I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that thoughts on everything <laughs> so like I'm a, I'm a philosopher uh and um so the genesis of where we are now is that first it was about bathrooms and that failed spectacularly with the north carolina hb2 bill um and i think the reactionary right that really just seeks to control people and control like women's rights period, things like you know access to abortion or, or birth control or healthcare, um, they lost the bathroom fight as a way to control trans people. And the same groups then move to sport, not because they care at all about women's sport. Many of these same people are the ones joking about things like the WNBA. So for example, after I won my second Masters World Championship, Donald Trump 
junior hate tweeted about me about, you know, this being the end of women's sport or something, which one, I wish I had that much power and I don't. Um, but two, I am rather certain Donald Trump Jr. didn't even know that age group track cycling was even a thing. So this is merely a political vehicle for their other goals. Yeah. And what we've seen now is it's moved on from sport to healthcare about children to healthcare about adults. Like some states are trying to ban trans healthcare for anybody which is just bananas. Yeah, and so, Dr. Ivey, that's all the time we have, but that is certainly the case. This is kind of a gateway issue into other issues, and some, so much of this legislation uh, you know, springs forth from it. But uh, we will uh, continue to cover those issues as well as this one. Dr. Veronica Ivey, I'm grateful for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. That's it for us today. Coming up tomorrow, a conversation about the classified documents that have been discovered at former President Trump's Florida resort and President Joe Biden's home in Delaware. We're finding out this morning there were some found in Mike Pence's house as well. The response of these folks after the discoveries have been very different, but in both cases, these sensitive records should not have been where they are. So we'll find out how they got there. Tyler Pager of The Washington Post, Matthew Conley of Columbia University, join me tomorrow on Midday. Here and Now is up next after news at the top of the hour, so stick around for that. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.